We are starting a new series today. Uh, we have been doing what is called Words in Red, and uh, there it is. Don't mind me. We have been doing Words in Red, which is simply looking through the Gospels at Jesus' teachings and His words. And as we transition from that, we're going to move from that to a study on the book of Acts, because it, just, it makes so much sense to go from Jesus' life to the early church and the acts of the disciples, the acts of the apostles, the acts of the early church. And so His kingdom has no end, and, and Jesus has been established as the king on the throne of David, and it says that His kingdom will have no end, and we are in that kingdom. And uh, so we are calling this series on the, on the book of Acts to be continued. And uh, the reason we're calling it to be continued is because, as you know, if you study the book of Acts, it doesn't have an ending. It doesn't have a nice wrap-up point. It doesn't say, and that's the story of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the revival of the early church, which is all finished now. Thank you for reading. It just sort of leaves you this, this idea, this concept that everything that this, this amazing book that Luke wrote Everything that it's talking about is to be continued, that we as a church and as a people are to continue the things that were happening and the things, the advancing of the kingdom and of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the, the stuff that's going on in Acts is to be continued. And also as the book of Acts starts with the outpouring on the day of Pentecost, this promise that Jesus gave us uh, to wait for the Holy Spirit, the power to come upon you, and that, that that day of Pentecost, that the Holy Spirit fell. And so what is also to be continued is that we are to continue to be a people of His Spirit, filled with His Spirit, manifesting signs, wonders, miracles, and all for God's glory to point people to Jesus Christ, not to point people to us, but to point people to Jesus Christ in the hope, in the Redeemer, and the Reconciler who brought us back, reconciled us to the Father. So we are to continue to be people who move and operate and live in the flow of the Holy Spirit. And so if you guys have a Bible, turn with me to Luke 24, 49. At the last, the last of our words in red, the last section of the words in red that we're going to use is, <clears throat> excuse me, is Luke 24, 49. As Jesus says this, I'm going to send to send you what my father has promised but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high this is the promise of the holy spirit so i want to talk to you this morning as we look at the book of acts what it means to be a spirit-filled people a spirit-filled church we're going to be talking about what it means to be pentecostal and i grew up pentecostal from the time that i was uh minus nine months old ten months old whatever it is and all my whole life grew up pentecostal and uh so when you say in church that we're going to talk about pentecostal we're going to teach pentecostal we're going to be pentecostal i understand why you would be nervous about that i have experienced the good the bad the ugly everything in between that you could possibly experience and so what i want to do is i want to put hopefully just a really fresh but healthy spin on what it means to be a spirit-filled person uh and then we'll call everyone forward. I'll run around and I'll hit you on the head until you walk on. It's going to be great. You're going to love it. Amen. Oh, man. Okay. So uh, let's, I want to start by talking about Garris and Jan. Garris, Garris has always done a great job of teaching Acts and teaching on Pentecost and on what happened in the early church being born on that day of Pentecost. And next week he's going to come and teach on, on Acts 1a a little bit more and unpack it more than I am. I'm actually taking a little bit different departure from that. But um, here's what I want to talk about Garris and Jan. Not about how well he teaches the books of Acts, but I want to talk about how amazing they are as a couple. Because they've been married for, I think, like 40, 40 years. How many? 43 years. That's like twice my lifetime. And um, they, they, uh, <laughs> they 
are amazing to watch because they have this incredible love for one another. And you'll watch them. They hang out here. They work here together. And so we get to watch them. And we'll be having a meeting and we're all talking about important church things. And then a couple conversations get off to the side and you look over and there's Garrison Jan and they're having like this deep kind of looking into each other's eyes kind of conversation. Like no one else in the room even exists. We're like, hey, hey guys, hey, knock it off. You know, they're like googly eyes and oh, I love you. No, I love you. No, you're the best. No, you're the best more and, and they're always they're always always have have their hands within reach of one another always loving on one another and and truly I tease a little bit but as Kate and I have been mentored by them in our own marriage we actually love this example of extravagant love because you can see it it, it, it exudes out of everything that they do and not every couple has that Some couples have had it, but it's completely gone now, and they're just going through life coexisting, and other couples have it sometimes, but, but when you see a couple that, like, they can't wait to show each other something that they discovered or talk about something that God's showing them or, or go on a date together after 43 years. It just the, the thing that they would love to do more than anything on a vacation is not to go to some exotic place. It's simply, could we hang out together and go for walks? That's, like, what they would love to do. And you see that out of their life, you see this extravagant love. You cannot miss it when you get around them. And it's such an honor to be led by them and to be mentored by them and to have them as a mom and dad in this house. And God wants to have that kind of relationship with us. He doesn't want us to have a mediocre, just get by, middle of the fence, ho-hum relationship with him. He wants extravagant because he is an extravagant God. He is an extraordinary God. He does nothing halfway at all. We need to be saved from this place that we have found ourselves. He doesn't toss us a lifeline. He goes, you need salvation. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to come as a human, and I'm going to come and live with you and bring you into relationship. Oh, there's a curse over you. Oh, there's sin that's over you. You know what? I will take that curse on myself and break it you know what i will become sin on your behalf that you might become my righteousness he doesn't do it halfway like oh you're kind of saved he comes and rescues us pulls us into himself and sets us free because he is that kind of god he loves us extravagantly and he will go to the ends of the earth to reach us and to love us there is there is no further that he could go on our behalf than he went and there's no closer that he could bring us then he's already brought us because he is a God who does everything, everything to the max. He is infinitely extravagant. And in his love, I think, well, in his love, the cross is his marriage proposal to us. He says to us, will you marry me? I've forgiven your sins. My father loves you. He has always loved you. Will you be one with me? Will you enter into this covenant relationship with me? And he invites us to come and to be one with him. And when we say yes, he brings us into him. In Christ, he brings us into himself. It's not you go sit over there and and, and me, God, I will be over here and we'll be in relationship and I'll say, hey, yeah, we're in relationship, It's, it's good. No, he goes and he gets us. When we say yes to this marriage proposal, he gets us and he brings us into himself completely. In Christ, Ephesians 1.3 says that we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Everything that belongs to Christ, when we say yes to him, is now ours through grace. 
because we've been brought into Jesus Christ. We've been brought into the triune God. We sit in the midst of their relationship and we watch eternal peace and joy and love just pass around us between them and we go, oh, this is amazing and we get to be in there because God brings us in to himself and he puts us right into him. And then there's a final step, though, that needs to happen for this love relationship to be consummated. He wants to take that extravagant love, and he wants to cause it to abide in us. We are in him. He wants to put that love in us. He wants to take his spirit and place it inside of us to fill us to overflowing with his spirit that we could experience the love that he is and that he has, that we could experience the power that he is and that he has, and that we would be filled completely but for this to happen he needs our needs unquote he needs our permission and what i mean by that is that he's not going to karate kick his way into our life can i tell you one more funny gareth story he was here one morning early one morning and he forgot his keys i'm like gareth story he's not here i'm gonna tell stories he forgot his keys to his office and so he decided that instead of calling someone and getting a key, that he would kick the door down because he used to be a cop. And so he said, oh, no, piece of cake. You just measure up from the doorknob. You go up six inches, and then you go over four inches, and there's your sweet spot. And all you got to do is take a step back and kick through the door. And so he actually, instead, <laughs> instead, of, instead of calling someone and getting a key to his office, he decided that he would rather kick the door open then call someone to tell them that they would have to fix his door. So he call, Andy was like, he calls Andy like, hey, Andy, you're going to have to fix the door frame. I might have kicked through it to get into my office. He's like, you're calling me now. Why didn't you just call me to get a key? Well, for Garris, that's no fun. It's way more fun to kick through the door. And I think the thing is, being a cop for a while, like, and then being a pastor for a long time, I think he was just seeing, like, can I still, can I still do this, or do I have, do I have pastor legs? Because that's, We won't talk about that anymore. He's not going to karate kick his way into your life. He, he, he's not that kind of God. He's a God of relationship, and relational love means that he respects the personhood of the individual. He does not encroach upon them, and he's asking, will you? Will you open up your life and receive me? Will you open up your life and allow my spirit to be poured into you completely? We have to invite him. And we can say no. As the bride analogy that I was using about the wedding and the cross being that invitation to marriage. We can say no. He wants to pour his whole self into us. Let's share this extravagant love relationship and we can go, uh, you know what? I don't know about that whole thing. I'm kind of cool with like friends, with benefits. You come and meet my needs every once in a while when I need them and we're cool. But this whole like giving myself to you completely, surrendering my life to you completely, inviting you to fill me completely. Ah, that's a little bit much, God. Can you imagine if this couple that I was explain, explaining, Garrison Jan, could you imagine if one of them was, was wanted to pour out extravagant love and the other one was just meh towards them? Like, let's, let's sit and let's talk. Let's go on a date. Let's look into each other's eyes or check out this beautiful thing I saw over here. I want you to come and see it with me or let's put our arms together and let's go walk and enjoy life together. And you have one person who's all about that extravagant love and then you have someone else who's like, I don't think I really want to hold your hand. I don't know if I actually want to hang out so much. I'm good. I'm fine. I'm really not that into you. And I think if we saw that, we would go, oh, I feel so bad. 
for that husband that is trying to extravagantly love his wife and the wife is ambivalent towards those advances. But I suspect that this is sometimes how God feels towards us, or at least I know, and sometimes how he may feel toward me, that it's possible for his, on his side of the relationship towards me to be extravagant and without limits, and for it on my side to be limited and partitioned out. And I go, man, God, I don't, I don't know about all of this thing of you're coming to me and saying, let's lock arms together. Let's move in the supernatural. Let's step, step out of your comfort zone. Let me pour my spirit into you. Let's do things that, let's go on an adventure together. I want to show you my love, and I want to show you my love for other people, and I want I want to just dismantle your life in the most beautiful way because what I have for you is so much better. We can have a supernatural love, supernatural breakthrough. We can do amazing things, and I can be like, you know, I know I said yes to being married, but you're starting to get a little bit creepy. How about you just stay over there in this section of the house? There's a corner for you because I still have things that I want to do and accomplish on my own. I still have places of my life that I don't want to surrender to you. I still have these other things that I've got to take care of in my own strength and in my own power. So you, you stay over there and, and I'll stay over here. And to refer back to that first passage we looked at in Luke 24 where he says he wants to clothe us with power we end up like wearing the hat we get the hat that says Jesus was here but we're wearing all of our own stuff he wants to give us an entire wardrobe of his presence an entire wardrobe of a filling wrapping us in the supernatural wrapping us in power and we're like I will take the scarf please that's enough it's just an accent but he wants to dress us completely in his presence when we're filled with the Spirit, when we're immersed in the Spirit, baptized in the Spirit, if you will. That is about Christian life going from ho-hum, boring, mediocre, to extravagant. He wants so badly to fill us. He, as I said earlier, He is not a half-way, half-measure, half-full God. He wants us to live in His fullness. And thankfully, in John 3.34, we learn that God is a God who gives His Spirit without limit. If he's a God who pours his spirit out into me and into you without limit, where does the limit exist? It's not in him. So let me teach this really quickly. There's a, there's a, uh, this, is a, this is my teaching phase. Ready? We're gonna, we're, I want to get this just laying a groundwork for the book of Acts as we go through this. There's a world of difference between having the spirit and being filled with the spirit. Everyone who says yes to that marriage proposal with Jesus Christ has the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12.3 Therefore I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the spirit of God says Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So the only reason that we can confess Jesus as Lord, the only reason that we can believe and have the faith to believe that Jesus is Lord, the only reason that we can yield even a little bit, the only reason that we can take even a step is because of the Holy Spirit. It is not about our works. The faith that we have to believe in Jesus is a gift so that we are not bragging on ourselves. Sometimes people think that maybe they're Christians because they sin less or they figured this out or whatever it is. But, it, but we know that Ephesians tells us that every single one of us, apart from Christ, we are all dead in our sin. We cannot even make a move toward God without the Holy Spirit. That's how we have the Holy Spirit in our life. None of us is smart enough on our own to confess Jesus is Lord. But the Spirit never forces us to believe. It doesn't make us believe. 
Because God is a relational God. God wants, doesn't want a robot, he wants you. And he wants to be invited in. And that's what the Holy Spirit is doing and enabling us to do. Even our faith, Ephesians 2.9, is a gift from God. There is no room in any of us for boasting about how we have arrived in relationship with Jesus Christ. It is all the Holy Spirit. It is all by grace. And every believer has the Holy Spirit to that degree. You've yielded to that degree, but that doesn't mean that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. We find this distinction between having the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit throughout the entire New Testament. In Acts chapter 1, so Jesus prom- he said in, in Luke 24, I'm going I'm to send you what my Father promised. In Acts chapter 1, you have the disciples. They believed. They had seen Jesus risen from the dead. They had walked with him. All of that was under their belt, but they were not filled yet. So Jesus said to them, I'm going to send you my fa- what my Father has promised. And then in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. And in their context, when the Holy Spirit came upon them, everywhere to them was Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. See, there's something more that happened in that verse. You believe, you walked with me, you've seen that I rose again, that's wonderful, but I want you to wait because I have something that I want to give you that will clothe you with power from on high. And when you receive that power, you will be my witnesses telling me, telling people about me everywhere. And then 40 days later, on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2-4, and everyone in the room who was waiting, everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them the authority. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a new thing that took place there. They were filled. They were already believers. They had seen Jesus. They'd walked with Jesus. He had breathed His Spirit on them. But this was something different that had taken place. Now they're filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them the ability, the ability, tongues, glossolalia. That just means other languages that their natural brains didn't learn. It's a powerful miracle that took place that day. They'd had the Spirit, now they were filled. There's a distinction that I want us to catch, okay? The filling or the baptism or the immersion in the Holy Spirit, whatever words that you want to use. And another example of this distinction is in Acts chapter 6. The apostles, the early church is blowing up. There's revival taking place. People are getting saved. All these things are going on. And in Acts chapter 6, they said, we're too busy. We're in over our heads. Select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the Holy Spirit. If you have the King James Version, you can say, Holy Ghost! Uh, And they were full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we will give them the responsibility. So they asked people to go out, excuse me, and find someone who was walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. There was a distinctive about their life. They They didn't define necessarily what that distinctive was, but there was an exceptionalism about their life that you would be able to recognize that these are men who are full of the Holy Spirit. Were they walking in the supernatural signs, wonders? Were they, were they having, giving prophetic words to people and having them comfort, confirmed and say, that was amazing what you said to me? Were they, was it words of knowledge? Was it serving? Was it, what was it that they were doing? I don't think that that's the matter. What we should be focusing on is just the understanding that there are men, there were men that they were looking to and saying, in their life they would recognize and they were recognized as being full of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 8, 12, again, Uh, Philip went to preach in Samaria and the people believed Philip's message of the good news concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ and as a result many men and women were baptized and then Acts 8 14 through 17 but now when the sorry when the apostles in Jerusalem heard 
that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message. They sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. I think I skipped a section. Let's back that up. Um, the Holy, uh, verse 16, the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon them, for they had been only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John there, uh, laid their hands upon them, upon those believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. So they were believers. They had been obedient. They had been baptized. But Philip and the others, they noticed that something was different. They were looking and saying, we, we, don't, we don't specify exactly what it is, but they need to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so they had the apostles come and pray with them so that they would be Spirit-filled believers. And so there is a distinction in the Bible between having the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit. And I want you to hear this. The biblical norm for our lives is that we would be people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the biblical norm. That's the expectation. That's what we see throughout Scripture. So Ephesians 5.18 I'll finish with this verse, Ephesians 5.18. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Amen. You can go home now. <laughs> Don't be drunk with wine, for it will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul, we know in Ephesians, if we do a background study on the book of Ephesians, we know that he is writing not to non-believers, he is writing to believers. He is writing this to believers and he is saying to believers, don't be drunk with wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you look at the tense of the word, he isn't saying be filled one time. The tense of the word actually says be being filled with the Holy Spirit. And we have to catch that because what Paul is admonishing his the, the believers in there is to say, be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. When you're drunk, I'll, I'll just tell you because I assume none of you have ever been drunk. But when you're drunk, you do things that you wouldn't normally and ordinarily do. And I love this. <laughs> There's a reason why they call it liquid courage. And I, I saw a lot of that. As uh, you guys know, I was a bartender for a while at one time. I've seen what happens when you drink a little bit and you think you can do anything. And like, I can, I can fight that guy. No, you really can't. Just, uh, but just as that's the case, I think that there's a parallel there that's really beautiful is when we are filled continuously being filled by the Holy Spirit, that we are walking with, a, with a, a confidence in Jesus Christ, that He is going to show up, and that He is going to do signs, and He's going to do wonders, and He's going to do miracles, He's going to bring breakthrough in my family, He's going to restore my marriage, He's going to do the things that I'm asking Him to do and needing Him to do, because I have this irrational confidence, because I'm filled, filled with the Holy Spirit, and that's what He's asking us to be, that's what He was asking the believers in Ephesus to be. Paul's tense points out that it's not a don't get drunk once thing. And sometimes being filled with the Spirit is taught as a one-time thing, like you got a vaccine. You're good. You got your shot. You're set for life. Can't make jokes about vaccine in Southern Oregon. Sorry. Okay. I'm sorry. It's like, I don't even know what it's like. I don't even have a parallel. It's, it's, you get a tetanus shot. That's the one. So you get a tetanus shot, and you're good. I have my tetanus shot. I'm good. And, and sometimes it's taught that way. That like, have you, been, have you received the baptism of the Holy Ghost? And you got like that one-time thing, right? Yes, it was 1986. I was at, I was at uh, Camp Willow Creek, and I was the unfortunate kid who uh, wasn't speaking in tongues at a Pentecostal camp. And so they all turned on me like, ah, what? What did I do? Get him! Ah! 
But we teach it as if it's this one-time thing. But Paul, clearly, he doesn't think of it as a one-time thing. He doesn't think of it as this, this isolated encounter. He doesn't teach that. He's saying, be being filled. It's like intimacy in my marriage or love with my wife. Hey, Ryan, are you in love with your wife? And you go, hey, Ryan, are you in love with your wife? And I go, well, yeah, in 1986 when I met her, I was, I was extravagantly in love with her. You're like, I, I don't... Uh, that's great. I don't really care if you were in love with your wife 20 years ago. I'm asking you, are you in love with your, life, your, your wife right now? Right now, are you extravagantly in love with your wife? We have to ask better questions. Are you filled with the Spirit? Yeah, I was filled with the Spirit in 1986. No, no. Are you filled with the Spirit? Are you walking right here, right now, in a way where it is unmistakable that you are filled with the Spirit? If we say, go in and find seven people who can walk in this level of authority and anointing, we want to give them tasks to do. Go find Spirit-filled people. They would come and they'd find you and go, this is someone who is filled with the Spirit, not because they gave you the test. Speak in tongues, quick. Or what, when, when, did you get the, when did you get the anointing and the, and the yelling and all that? Like, oh, I have the card. I actually filled it out. Here it is. But that right now, your life, be being filled is exuding the overflow of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, it's great that I loved my wife 20 years ago, but if I want to have intimacy with her, my question needs to be, am I in love with my wife right now? You want intimacy with the Holy Spirit. The question is not, when did you get baptized in the Holy Spirit? The question is, are you being filled right now? Are you living a lifestyle of being filled? The thing about this is that it's, maybe it's unfortunate, but, you know, once filled, always filled, or whatever it is. It's like saying that once you're drunk, you're always drunk for life. Uh, it doesn't work that way. You may have tried it. Uh, but, uh, but if you want, here's, here's my, don't, don't, don't turn this into a chapter of my book. But if you want to be drunk, you got to keep drinking. And it's the, okay, so it's funny, right? But it's the same it's the same thing. Like, if I want to be filled with the Spirit, I have to keep going to Him. Or I have to at least position my life, not at least, I have to position my life under this Father who says, I am a Father who gives out my Spirit without measure. So it's not about uh, figuring out how to get filled one time. It's about figuring out how to position my life to be filled all the time. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Put away your Holy Spirit Pentecostal card that has the date of when you were spirit baptized, Holy Spirit prophesying, dreams, interpretations, whatever it is. That's not the thing. That's great. That's a memory. That's a powerful thing, and I'm not minimizing that. We need those kinds of encounters. But what we really need is people who are ready, ready to lay down their lives, whatever the cost, whatever it takes, to be in an extravagant love relationship with God. That when he says, I want to love you extravagantly by pouring my spirit on you, that we would say, yeah, I'm ready. I'm inviting you and in. pour yourself into me. Here I am, God. Here I am. Fill me. Fill me. Fill me. Fill me. Not because I'm begging, not because I, I have this pauper mentality of a meager amount of the Holy Spirit, but that I understand how much and how immense his desire is to fill and to pour out. And one of the verses that we love to use is Romans 15, 13. I will always come back to this verse. I love it. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May God fill you so that you may overflow. 
If I can shorten that verse down a little bit more. May God fill you so that you may overflow. How can you overflow unless there's an ongoing outpouring into your life? And the second that I step out of that, I cease to overflow. Think about it. So what I want us to do is I want us to be people who position ourselves in this open, outpouring, love relationship, marriage that we have through Christ with God in the Holy Spirit pouring us out into us that we would position our lives to receive that and to be people who carry that. Be being filled. Don't be getting drunk all the time and doing dumb dumb things. Just continually be filled with the Spirit and do crazy things for Him. That's what I want us to do. And really being filled with the Spirit is not about a day planner thing. It's not about chalking it into your thing and saying, oh, I'm going to read my Bible in the morning. I'm going to do this or do that. Truly, it's about an availability. It's a heart availability to say wherever I am, whatever I'm doing. Sometimes you're going to experience an overflow of the Holy Spirit and you're going to encounter Him and it's going to be physical. It's going to be emotional. It's gonna, it's gonna, you're going to go, I just had a, a touch from God, but there's so many other times where just the posture of your heart, you trust that He is continually pouring into you even if you don't sense it or feel it. You just know that I've position in my heart and anything in my life that is getting in the way, anything in my life that is taking up the capacity to be poured into, to overflowing, I'm removing that so that when I, when people come around my life, they're not going to say, oh man, that was such, that person was so full of the Spirit. They'll say, oh wow, you must have heard them worshiping in beautiful angelic tongues or you must have seen them doing that or doing that. But no, I actually saw that they were overflowing with supernatural love and power and they were walking in an anointing. Yeah, they were using their prayer language. Yeah, they were praying for the sick. Yeah, they were doing those things. But it wasn't like a badge or an ID. It was simply the reality is that if I am living in that flow of the Spirit, overflow of Him, the people are going to look at your life and go, there's a Spirit-filled believer right there. That's what I want us to be. That's what I want our church to be. That's what I want people to see when they look at you. Let me pray for you. If you'll stand up. Just take a posture to receive. So that we can all be baptized in the Holy Spirit this morning. (laughs) Just let me get my hanky. Okay, now listen. I tease because I've been Pentecostal my whole life, so deal with it. But I believe that we can laugh, but I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that the thing that has changed my life more than anything else is my relationship with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is always revealing more of Jesus Christ to me, always revealing more of the Father to me, and always showing me how to reveal more of Christ and more of the Father to others. I believe in this with all of my heart, and I believe in the supernatural with all of my heart. I think it's okay, though, if we demystify it a little bit. I think it's okay if we take off some of the words and titles that we put over it, and I think it's great that we would start asking the right questions so that we get the right answers are you baptized in the holy spirit in 1986 no are you full to overflowing continually being filled right now right here today that's our question let me pray for you jesus we are here hearts and minds just emptying ourselves 
before you and asking and inviting. We say yes to your extravagant love. We thank you that you're a God who doesn't go halfway. You are a full measure God and that you pour out your spirit without limit, without measure. You are not dosing it out as if you're going to run out. You are pouring your spirit out into every single one of us and that your commission to us, your challenge to us, your request to us is to be in so deeply, intimately in love with you that we lose ourselves because we are so deep over our heads, baptized, immersed in your spirit. That what flows out of us is your spirit. What flows into us is your spirit. Let us be radical, supernatural, spirit-filled believers. Not for the badge, but for the work and for the love and for the intimacy and for the relationship and for the things that you're asking us and commissioning us to do. We cannot do them on our own. Let this ring in our ears that we would be people who are being filled by your spirit. How can we constantly be filled? Because we have a God who is unlimited, infinite, and he pours out his spirit without measure. For the rest of my life, all day, every day, would not even dent who you are and what you desire to pour into me and what you desire to pour into each one of these people here. In Jesus' name. Let them fill you. There's places in your life where, as I said earlier, he just, he's a God who is ready to be invited in. There's places in your life where you haven't invited him in. There's places in your life where he's wanted to go on, a, on, a, on an adventure with you, to go on a journey with you, to to take you deep into himself and you've just said, no, I've got other things that I want to do, other things that I want to accomplish. Can you go back to those no's and just invite him into those places? Say, God, forgive me. Come into this. Fill me every nook and cranny of my life, my mind, my heart, my emotions, my physical body. Fill me, God. I invite you. you. Yeah, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So good. So good. So good.